Good evening, everybody, and you're very, very welcome to the first event of Mountains to Sea 2020. Um, and it is our great pleasure to introduce um, a food writer and uh, an inspiration to us all, I think, Darina Allen, who, um, as everybody knows, is the leading light, really, in food and food writing um, in Ireland. She's just won another award for her wonderful one-pot cooking. And most of us have some, one, one of her, at least one of her cookbooks in our houses. So we're very much looking forward to hearing more of her insights around food and how we grow and how we should all just slow down and take time over the, over the pre preparation and cooking of food. And her interviewer this evening is Sarah Maria Griffin, who last year was writer-in-residence here um, at DLR Libraries. And um, it was really Sarah who planted the idea of conversations about food. She's obviously a novelist and a writer and facilitator herself, but um, also a foodie and a, and a dedicated foodie at that. So um, I'm very much looking forward to this conversation and I hope that you are as well. Um, so would you give a warm welcome please to Drina Allen and Sarah Maria Griffin. Going. Thank you so much for coming out and thank you so much to Mountains to the Sea and to the tremendous Dunleary Lexicon for having us here this evening and happy International Women's Day. <laughs> uh, can we get a, another round of applause and a warm welcome for Darina Allen, please? Oh. <laughs> thank you all for coming along. I'm so excited. So, Darina, what uh, I think my first question and my most, the question that my heart wants to ask is a two-part question. Mm -hmm. What did you have for breakfast today and what is your favourite <laughs> breakfast? <laughs> what did I have for breakfast? Well, uh, basically, I'm so lucky. I have breakfast in bed every single morning. Can you imagine? How lucky am I? But actually, it's really... Uh, there's a sort of slight story behind this because uh, when, always when I woke, and I'm not quite so much now that I'm 72, but no, I'm not, actually, am I, I'm 71, I think. <laughs> <laughs> not 72, I'm to July, but anyway, I always, when I woke up in the morning, I was wide awake and I would jump out of bed full of, you know, ideas of what I wanted to do. And my husband wakes up much more slowly and he likes to have a quiet time to, as he says himself, to come to terms with the world. And so after a bit, he suddenly... Thought, and the last thing he wants me is coming bouncing down the stairs, sort of saying, oh, let's do this, let's do that. Uh, so anyway, he came, he suddenly thought, well, if I could bring her up at least a cup of coffee or a tray in bed and keep her there for a while. <laughs> and I, I could actually, so anyway, uh, I had my tray this morning with a, I love, um, it's one of my sort of treats in life, it's freshly squeezed orange juice. I mean, oh. I mean like an orange squeeze, right blah, blah, blah. A cup of coffee and uh, uh, then also, um, I, it could be porridge or whatever, mm. or, or just a little, but I didn't have that this morning because I actually woke up a bit late and I just uh, grabbed the orange juice, grabbed the coffee oh, and uh, just shot across the yard over to the school. And actually just, there's always been this thing about breakfast is the most important meal of the day. Mm. Uh, but actually, that was made up by 
Kellogg's. You know that. Yeah. I mean, I'm not. I'm yeah. serious. I'm not making. I'm not making that up. Because basically, you know, some of us. I'm sure we all know this. That if you have dinner late at night the night before, you definitely don't feel like a whole big breakfast. So it's like totally cool, in my opinion, to just have a cup of coffee if that's what you feel like it. Uh, feel like it. And so so Jarena Allen has given you permission to get your coffee on the go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but for our tea or whatever, whatever gets you started in the morning. That's yeah. fantastic. So even though I am definitely a cup of coffee running at the door yes. person and I'm yeah. always moving very quickly, I think what we're here to talk about mostly is about slowing down and uh, a slower <laughs> way of eating and a slower way of putting together food. Um, so can you tell me about uh, the slow food movement that you've been involved in for oh, so long and the difference yeah. that that has made here in Ireland uh, in terms of how our lifestyles are speeding up moment to moment but slowing down how we eat and how we prepare yeah. food is so holistic and so good for our economy and our environment. Yeah. So can you talk to me a little bit about well, that? Well, that's true, but uh, slow food, actually, many of you may not even have heard of the slow mm. food movement. It's an international movement that's nothing to do with cooking slowly, actually. Ah. It's about, you know, it was started in 1989 by uh, an Italian called Carlo Petrini and some of his friends. They became more and more concerned that uh, Italy was beginning to follow the American model of sort of grab, gobble and go. And they, so they sat down, they all loved their food and they thought we're going to lose our food culture in Italy. And out of that, it's a long story, but out of that was actually born the slow food movement. And it's an international movement now. It's made up of people like you and I who are concerned about the quality of our food and you know, feeding our families and the loss of biodiversity and also of supporting uh, local farmers and fishermen and food producers and so on. Uh, so, and the, the just to very quickly, to just say the philosophy of slow food is uh, could be summed up in three words, good, clean and fair. So they, we obviously feel that the food should be good for you and nourishing and nutrient dense and make you feel great and taste delicious. And also it should be obviously produced in a you know, a clean environment, clean kitchen, all of that, and also not in any way damage the environment, the land or around us. And then fair, really important, that the people who produce the food, who grow the food and, you know, rear the animals and all that, and indeed work on the farms and everything, should be paid a fair price for, what the, for their work and so on. And a lot of those things are not quite happening at the moment. Mm -hmm. So that's... Uh, uh, and anyway, they have a big... There, there are chapters all over the place. There are several, there's a chapter here in Dublin, there's one down in Wicklow as well. And it's a really good thing to be part of, actually, because you meet, they have events every now and then. We have also got a chapter down at the Banyu Cookery School down in East Cork. And uh, in fact, do you know something? Now, I don't know if you know this. Do you know, have you heard of the book Wilding? No, please well, Has anybody heard of Wilding? Yeah, yeah well, we had, I, I actually, I, I, I wrote last year that if you only read one book last year, it should be Wilding. And I haven't time to tell you all about it. But basically, we had Isabella Tree from the Wilding Project in, uh, in Sussex was our slow food event during last week. week. But anyway, it's, it's a nice thing to be part, very nice thing to be part of and to support and all of that, because also you're, you're with like-minded people. And also if you, tra if you travel, which many of us are fortunate to do, you can link in with slow food members in, in any country in the world and they'll give you all the best tips about where to eat and, uh, and to meet people and all of that. So it's a nice thing to be part of. So yeah. it kind of places us in a wider context yes. of where our food is coming from.
coming from exactly. and it more closely to our sources. Exactly. And yeah. also it always has an educational element. So at the school uh, we have, we link in with nine, we have this East Cork Slow Food Education Project. So we link in with nine local schools and all of those schools must have a school garden mm -hmm. and the children must be taught how to, how to sow seeds and, yeah. and grow things and all the rest of it. And then they have a compost heap in the uh, garden as well. Uh, and they know that the compost will rot down and go back onto the soil to make the soil more fertile. This is all properly it's education. Full cycle. And they learn yeah. their maths through it and all that sort of thing. And then they, what am I trying to say? Oh yeah, we send a chicken coop then and two hens to all of the schools. <laughs> so the children learn how to keep hens. And they, I'm always trying to stop them giving them names, but as you can oh. imagine, they do. And the he, le, hens lay an egg. Then the children feed them. The hens lay an egg and then they take them home and, you know, and, thing. and I just, you know, I did that after 1983 when the economy collapsed and I thought, bloody hell, we've got to teach the kids how to cook, how to grow and how to cook and if they can grow, cook and keep hens, it doesn't matter what the bankers do, yeah. basically they'll be able to feed them. Like so. liberating them fully <laughs> exactly. from the system. And they love it. They, <laughs> yeah. And then they come up to the school and we, and we of course teach them how to cook. And, and the, the parents love it, the children love it, uh, and the, uh, uh, the, somebody else loves it as well, I've forgotten. The parents, oh, the teachers, yeah, the teachers love it as well. They all love that it, kind yeah. of love and interest they in food They love it, so you young. can imagine. Yeah. And they bring us now, they've, oh yeah, the other great thing is that all of the schools, uh, the, in one school alone the first year, they, they, they um, joined our project. 27 kids. They had a school garden, of course, in the school, because they must have a school garden and be properly thought. So you need one really enthusiastic teacher who really believes in the importance of it in the school. And then, but then we use pester power. So in that one school alone, 27 parents started to grow vegetables for the first time and 18 parents got hens for the first time. Wasn't that fantastic? So it can make it, and actually, this is also the scary bit because a lot of the, we, they could, the children cook delicious things that mm. they all eat and that the parents say, well, they'd never eat that at home and all the rest of it. And they eat off the plants in the greenhouses, break off little bits of broccoli and eat it and all of that. And because we make it so cool that they do it, you see. And, uh, but then, uh, the, oh God, I've lost my train of thought. <laughs> That's the no, one to be 71. No, but when you bring it down to fostering an interest in the environment. Well, I know what I was going to say. It's come back. It's come back. Got right. It. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, basically, of course, this year, the kids all get the recipes to take home and everything. Uh, After they cook in the morning, they all sit down. They lay the table. They get flowers and put them into little recycled tins on the table. And then they all sit down together. I mean, lots of these kids never sit down around the table at home. So this is, we, you know, it's we're not a preachy thing, but they think. And then they go home and a lot of the kids are teaching their parents how to cook. They're taking home the recipe saying, we love this, we made this today, can we make this mummy and daddy? So that's a, it's a big, this is a big, um, I'm on a bit of a mission about this. Yeah. <laughs> there we are. Yeah. Like it's bringing the focus back in to when they're, when they're that young and the yes. way the culture has moved and changed yes. around uh, being less focused on spending time together as a exactly. family unit, yeah. it can and make a And people are so busy now. I mean, yeah. I just really don't know how people manage. It's so, it's so difficult to keep all the balls in the air. It yeah. is. Let's talk about farmers markets. Okay. So briefly inside, slightly behind the scenes, uh, I was telling Dorina about uh, visiting a farmers market for the first time in San Francisco. And you had had the same experience. <laughs> so can we talk a little bit about farmers markets in Ireland and your experience with working yeah. in them over the years? Well, funnily, when you said about, uh, um, about San Francisco, mm. the, the fir first time I came across farmers markets was actually 
uh, also in San Francisco. Uh, I'd gone to visit a friend of mine who had a cooking school in San Francisco and I'd been traveling about 20 something hours and I remember arriving quite late and she said, look, well, let's just have a bit of cheese and a glass of wine or something. We won't stay up too late because I want to get up really early in the morning. I want to be down and to show, I want to take you to see this farmer's market, which now is a very familiar term, but at that stage was a new term to me, uh, which has started in the, it's in a parking lot over the other side of town. And uh, I, it's, you know, I want to show you this. And I said, I'm, I'm not getting up at seven in the morning uh, to go and see a farmer's market. I've seen lots of markets in Europe and I love them and all of that. But basically, uh, no, but anyway, she's even bossier than me. Uh, so she pulled me out of bed and we went off. And it was a really important moment for me, actually, because at that time in Ireland, many of you will not have been aware of this, but the supermarkets, who were well on stream at that stage, had gone over to what was, is called a central distribution system. So in other words, instead of lo the local shops, particularly that were you know, owned by the, the, the uh, supermarket chains, uh, buying quite a lot of stuff locally, suddenly they, uh, had, they, was, there was a central distribution system where each shop would order whatever they needed for the week and it would come down from Dublin or wherever the central distribution thing was. And the, uh, what most of the general public didn't realise is that the shops were penalised if they bought more than 2% of their uh, produce locally. So suddenly, local farmers, and particularly small farmers and producers, suddenly when they go along to the local shop with their potatoes or cabbages or carrots or whatever they were told, they could no longer buy from them. And so it was really caused chaos, you know. And, but most people didn't realise this was going on. But anyway, our, because our, in Ballymaloo House, we have about, and at the cooking school, we have about 130, 150 small producers that we buy directly from. And a lot of them were saying, you know, my God, we can no longer, you know, Broderick's can no longer take our potatoes, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, and then the iron here, see, see, that was all very fine for bigger farmers and so on. They could put their stuff into a lorry and it can go to Dublin. And actually the irony of it was the potatoes could go into a lorry in, in Ballycotton on one day and come back to Broderick's shop a week later rather than having them delivered uh, in that thing. Anyway, so here, back to San Francisco, here I am, bleary-eyed in the morning, and I suddenly thought, oh my God, if we, this is the bit of the jigsaw that's missing. If we could restart the markets in Ireland, basically then local farmers could sell to the local people who were desperate to get local produce. So I came up, oh, it was like a light bulb moment. I came back all fired up and went to my mother-in-law, Myrtle Allen. She was on for it. And uh, so uh, we, st we started the first uh, farmer's market in Ireland, actually, in uh, the Cole Key in Cork. I was on television doing Simply Delicious at the time. Uh, set up our little stalls, five or six of us. Frank had them in the, who smoked the fish and Caroline Robinson. The, uh, most of them are still. And, and Declan Ryan, who was the first artisan baker. We were a whole kind of a motley crew. And uh, so we set up on the side of the street in Cork, in the... In the uh, in, the Cold Key in Cork, which, where there's been a market for over 400 years, and where none of the Montanotti Marys or anything like that would dream of being seen uh, walking down there. Uh, and so it was quite something, you know, getting... The, uh, and then after a bit, they got quite curious and came down. But anyway, and there were all the proper Sholies, you know, who were like stall holders who had been there, mothers and grandmas and all the rest of it, and they couldn't get over 
uh, me behind a stall. I was on television at the time, but I knew how important it was for me to stand behind that stall. And I remember Declan Ryan said to me, well, if you can stand behind the stall on the cold key in Cork, so can I. And because there was such a thing, I mean, I'm not joking about that it was, you just didn't go down the cold key, you know, uh, whatever. But anyway, we started, we did that for a number of years. It was terrific and it got quite, because it was such a funny thing. It got a lot of publicity. And, um, but anyway, then after that, I went on to do the, uh, the next one was the Middleton Farmers Market, where we still tra trade. But now there are about 160 or 70 farmers markets in Ireland. And actually, it's in Dublin, you have some, Thriving, but they're yeah. very often not the, not the same kind of farmer's market that there is. Some of them are brilliant and some not so good. But what you want in a farmer's market is food that you can't buy in a supermarket. It's a yeah. different kind of food. From the, you were asking earlier, what, where would I gravitate towards mm. if I went into a farmer's market? I would go towards the smallest producer and uh, sometimes somebody who's just selling surplus from the garden or something, something that you can't, they might have you know, quince or they might have Jerusalem artichokes or lovely bunches of rhubarb or mm. really good potatoes, you know. And you can meet the person who's growing your produce and a bond of trust develops. And, you know, it's so important for us to know more about how our food is produced and where it comes from. And now we, you know, very often, particularly the young people, know so much more about the lives of celebrities than they do about the food and what's going into it. And what are we like trusting multinationals, all the rest of it, it could be fantastic. But with the very thing that keeps us alive, I mean, we've just handed over complete control to the supermarkets and uh, to whatever over the f food we eat. Absolutely. Yeah, um, yeah I'm, I'm a great one for talking about that. No, you did, right. Sorry, this, this is, is pulling down my... Getting real activated not that now, I have yeah. any cleavage or anything to show, but at the same time. <laughs> so in terms of how farmers' markets have come along, where do you oh, feel yes. like as though they're going to go in the future? Because well, I, know I hope there'll be more and more of them. Mm. But no, God knows what's coming up now with this COVID-19, but whatever. Oh, yeah. But in oh, terms of how, how uh, markets operate in yeah. spaces and rents yes. and things like and that. And also there's plenty of there's lots of room for more farmers' markets. Yeah. Um, a lot of the ones down around Cork particularly, we... Um, my son-in-law runs several farmers markets. The, in my opinion, the best farmers markets in the country: Man Point uh, outside Cork, and also Douglas and uh, uh, Wilton as well. But there, there are still lots of, uh, and they're all oversubscribed. I mean, he would have like 50 or 60 people waiting to get a space, and he, there's only a certain amount of space. And the uh, really high standard, you know, he it just. He's really, really tough. And they have to have a really high standard. Because yeah. uh, otherwise, why would you bother to go if it's not going to be something better? Uh, but basically, um, uh, yeah, there's still lots of opportunities if any of you want to start a farmer's market. And it's the best fun mm. to stand behind. Now, this may not, whatever floats your boat, this mightn't float your boat. But it's the best fun to stand beside, uh, behind a stall at the farmer's market. Uh, <laughs> I can see some of your faces <laughs> and you're thinking, my God, is she serious? But actually, the farmer's market's a whole different thing. When the customers who come are actually deeply grateful to the, farmer, to the people who, uh, to the stallholders for, for getting out there and, you know, if they are doing something really good, producing something really good for them. So there's all of that. And then there's an amazing banter behind between the stallholders uh, every week. And I, you know, I've got a few things going on and it's just like therapy. 
uh, going into the farmers market in Middleton on a Saturday. Uh, and but there are so many opportunities to do more farmers markets, and particularly evening farmers markets, just to set one up uh, for a couple of hours in the evening when people are going home from work. Because one of the problems is a lot of the farmers markets are on a Saturday or something. People are working all week; they don't necessarily want to get out of bed first thing on a Saturday morning. But if you had some more, particularly in cities, if you had more evening and night markets, market. night yeah, market yeah. exactly. There's plenty of opportunity to do that, and it's such a service to the community as well. And um, then you can have all kinds of other educational things onto it. Anyway, sorry, Absolutely. I've gone on too no, long about No, not at all. Yeah. Um, speaking of education, I'd yeah. love to talk to you some more about the yeah. school, which was founded in 1983 and has come so far and become such a national institution. Can you talk to me a little bit about how things have changed from the beginning till well, where we are now? Well, the school was born out of desperation to keep the roof over <laughs> our heads because it was partly to do with the cheap food policy kicking in, actually. Mm. And we, like many farmers, and if any of you, maybe, probably this is an urban area, so you're unlikely to be farmers, I suppose, but uh, any farmers will know that the, it's really, uh, you know, the price that where farmers are being paid for the food at the moment is not covering their costs in many cases. And I know a lot of people just think, ah, oh, the farmers are always whinging, they're always whinging. But listen, we cannot expect to get nutrient-dense food at the prices we're paying for at the moment. It can't be done. Mm. You go into one of the discounters and you get a bunch of carrots for 30 or 40 cents they're in the ground for three months I mean it doesn't anybody can add that up it can't be done that you get really good nourishing wholesome food for that price and it's not fair actually mm -hmm. anyway that's a whole other I don't know how that's going to be resolved because we all think cheap food is our right now yeah so in terms of like running the organic farm as well as the school can yeah. you talk a little bit about the joys within that and the challenges oh, yeah. obviously there's there's a <laughs> well, whole we're mixed really bag. lucky we live yeah. in well I well again you know it's not everybody's idea of bliss to live in a farm but basically mm -hmm. we uh, our cooking school down in East Cork some of you may have been down there uh, it's in the middle of a hundred acre organic farm we're very close to the sea and uh, just near quite Ballycotton and Shanagarry so and we have we used to be in horticulture and uh, basically as I slightly alluded to there a couple of seconds ago the the school was born out of desperation and I'm not this is not an exaggeration it's mm -hmm. totally true I mean by we got married in 1970 by, by whatever the late 70s early 80s we had four children by the early 80s and we were um, this was a big horticultural unit now. Um, five acres of greenhouses, six five acres of apples, a big mushroom farm, exporting and all the rest of it. And then in the, in the early, late 70s, early 80s, first of all, we went, there was another big recession in Ireland. And then there was kind of the perfect storm as far as we were concerned. Uh, there was the, uh, basically there was a, uh, there was a big recession. Uh, there was the, um, uh, oil, oil crisis, there was 25% inflation, by the way, here in Ireland. There was the oil crisis, we were heating five acres of greenhouses that were very inefficient at that stage. We hadn't got the money as a young married couple to reinvest in them. Uh, what else was, so the cheap food policy kicked in, super, they, um, we'd gone into the EU, so all this tidal wave of regulations started to come in. Uh, on top of us, and we were at graders and everything. It wasn't a Mickey Mouse operation. And then the supermarkets had come on stream. So, and every time, and the whole cheap food policy, as I said, it kicked in. So every time we went to the wholesalers, as we did originally then, to bring in our lovely produce, uh, and well, you just got less and less for it, you know. And I mean, and then the, the grading got much more thingy. Anyway, to cut long story short, we somebody said, forget the wholesalers, go to the to the supermarkets, you know, that the thing of the future. So anyway, we uh, 
um, we got a contract with one of the super big supermarket chains, which I won't mention because they're still going strong, <laughs> and uh, uh, basically for apples, actually, because they were getting a lot of criticism that they had no Irish apple, they weren't selling Irish apples. So anyway, we got a thing, and we, you know, we graded all the things. We're very care we had used to operate to very high standards. So anyway, you'd go in, you'd make a contract with them, and then... Uh, uh, you'd, in the morning, you'd go in, deliver them. You'd Timmy would go off at six in the morning with the cement to deliver the, the produce. And uh, then, anyway, somehow or other, you never seemed to get paid what you, were, what you agreed. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, I think it's a little better now. Uh, and, uh, but then also, they somehow or other always seemed to find a bruise in an apple or something. So some of it had to be sent back. So anyway, this went on for a bit. We weren't used to dealing with people with this kind of ethic, because mm. we've been dealing with wholesalers in Cork who, you know, you would, it was, a lot of it was done on a gentleman's handshake. And basically, so after a bit, this went on for a bit, and uh, we were getting more and more despondent. And I remember one, we used to have a lovely moment every day when I would get up and get the kids off to school, and then Timmy would go into Cork and deliver the produce into Cork. And then he'd come back, and we'd both sit down and have breakfast together, back to breakfast. And then I remember one morning, the, the, he came into the kitchen door, and he's looking even more despondent than usual. And he said, I don't care if I have to crawl on my knees. I'm never doing that again. Yeah. And after some young pup of a buyer had, again, whatever. Uh, so anyway, we had to, uh, literally, we had to, as many people have, you know, sometimes you have to change direction. And we had to try and think, what talents have we, what resource, resources have we between us? And how can we earn a living in a different way? And that's what we, then we, st we I could cook a bit and, I, uh, you know, and really just, I mean, whatever. And some of my friends I know had said to me, oh, I'd love to be, well, we, we didn't have dinner parties. You know, you just have some friends Over, around for yeah. something at that stage. And they'd say, oh, how did you make this? You know, this is so nice. And I kind of realized that some other people didn't find it as easy, easy. as I did. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought maybe I could do some cooking class, because yeah. I'd been helping Myrtle in the winter uh, when Ballymaloo wasn't very full and she started giving cooking class. Anyway, so I just thought, but you know, the funny thing is, I went to the lovely Dominican nuns in Wicklow and I had no ambition when I was at secondary school. They were disgusted with me, really. Uh, but, but all I wanted was to find a nice chap, preferably <laughs> with money, uh, who would, and I'd have a few cute little kids and I'd, you know, shop and all of that. Uh, so I had, I'm not joking, I had no intention of being... Uh, nobody more unexpected than to find myself now referred to as a career woman. Yeah. <laughs> Culinary maiden, surprise. Anyway, there yeah. you are, there you are. That's how life is, but... Uh, so, like, anyway. but that's a legacy to suddenly, not to suddenly arrive at, but that is a, a, a legacy then to have well, arrived Well, we had into. to just see, we, you know, we had some farm buildings and we, I mean, obviously, well, the penny dropped after a bit that it was a wonderful place to have a cooking school in the yeah. middle of a farm. And we had, uh, we still had one acre of greenhouse and we had quite, you know, and my husband's horticulturalist, so basically he could grow. I mean, it took a while for that penny to drop, but, and now we find, actually, uh, that students have been coming for a long time, have been coming from all over the world. Uh, but basically, and I, I remember asking a student a number of years ago who came from the Yukon Territory, if you don't mind, uh, I had to look it up on the map. <laughs> 
but and all, they come from all over initially. There are 12 nationalities there at the moment. And I said, well, why did you, why you, why did you come here? Because, of course, when I started in 1983, I mean, the idea of having a cooking school in Ireland, coming for Americans or anybody to come to a cooking school in Ireland, it was like, like an oxymoron. You know, it was like a total contradiction in terms. I mean, everybody thought we lived on corned beef and cabbage. Yeah. You know, they yeah. really did. And often they still, yeah. yeah they still and do. I said to this, uh, this is my, uh, several years later, I said to this person, why did you come to the cooking school in Ireland? And they said, because it's unique. Uh, and, and, and I had never thought of it as unique because the school is in the middle of a farm and they come because they can see how the food is produced they can see how, go out with the gardeners in the morning they can sow seeds they can learn how to milk a cow may not float everybody's boat and, and you know make butter and cheese and yogurt and forage and ferment and do you know sourdoughs and so they have all the and then we have you know, the way to everybody's heart is to their tummy. Mm. We have so many romances. I was just telling you, it's much better than Tinder. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not joking, last Tinder. year alone, three different chaps brought uh, their, uh, it does happen to be chaps, could have been anybody, but uh, brought back their girlfriends uh, to Ballymaloo to propose to them. Aww. And they said, thank goodness, they said yes. And we hid bottles of champagne in the, in the pond and all the rest of it for them. Yeah. It's like Ballymaloo yeah. families Yeah, but it's a really wonderful skill to have, isn't it, to be able to cook and sort of, yeah. It anyway, is, it brings people together. So the, right. when, you, when you think about how many folks and how many chefs have passed through the doors of the oh, school yeah. over the years, <laughs> and then lot. you, how many yeah. people right now are preparing dinners on a Friday night doing dinner service all over the all country well, and maybe world who have learned how to cook well, in our food is very simple but we do have our babies as we call them are mm. all over the world now and uh, I always say that you know it's a bit awkward because if I was trying to get get away with my toy boy uh, uh, for the weekend I'd no. be caught wrong. You'd be known everywhere <laughs> everywhere <laughs> because you know you know it can be from Sydney to New York to anywhere there are yeah. restaurants and yeah and uh, you know it's really nice because if you can cook there's so many different ways you can use your cooking skills and writing and magazines editing you know television um, you know uh, catering business of course restaurants pop-ups yeah, street food you know uh, street vans all kinds of things so it's, are there it's any really values great. in particular that all of these chefs who go on and do all of these different things yeah. with the writing and the, the all of the different routes that people can take out of their education at Ballymaloo is there any values in particular you think that they would all have in common well they all they all know that the secret of good food is good is to start a good produce mm. so i always say that you know uh, that the secret of good food to great extent is in, in your shopping and when i mean shopping i don't necessarily mean running up and down the aisles of the supermarket putting in the choicest things i mean really thinking about how the food is produced where it comes from the breed mm. the, the the variety uh, and in things like animal welfare and all these things. See, if you start off with a piece of beautiful, fresh fish, even something as simple as a mackerel, which is one of my favourite fish in the summer when it's fresh, and you just have a beautiful fresh fish and you pan grill it and have it with a little, you know, even a little parsley butter. I mean, how could mm. it be simple? I mean, people think, uh, you know, you'd say, my God, this is so amazing. How did you cook this? And I say, well, you know, putting the praise on the wrong person. Yeah. It's really, it's fresh. And the same with vegetables and things. Sometimes I always say, you know, it's the gardeners who need the praise for this. And I'm not being facetious. Yeah. So if you really put, if we put the energy into sourcing really good quality produce, anybody can be a bit cook and you know good cook and you know our food is really simple it's i love home cooking and that kind of food that people will eat day after day and so although indeed many of our 
past students have got Michelin starred restaurants, but they didn't learn it from me, I can tell you. I don't know how to do a skid mark on a plate or, or, uh, <laughs> or any, any foams or bubbles. I don't know how to do it. Uh, so they go on and go on with other things. But it's generally the sort of food that you... You know, you could eat one day after the other. Mm. And that sort of is lovely to sit around the kitchen table with family and friends with. That's the kind of food we do. But with, with influences from all over the world, really, because... Yeah. Uh, like uh, the places yeah. where international food intersect with Irish food. Exactly, and absolutely. And you see, with... I mean, I remember somebody saying to me one time, and you're all the time talking about local ingredients and blah, blah, blah. And look, you've got lemongrass and this and Café Lamnies and everything. And I said, well, look on the windowsill. Because there were literally... There were literally... Uh, uh, lemongrass in, in tubs on the windowsill and chickpeas and oh. we grow so much of our own things so the students can see and I feel really blessed that we have that opportunity yeah yeah where it comes mm. from and where it ends yeah so, so that's the main thing that they all know uh, about that and then they get snapped up all over the world I mean literally in top restaurants in London and New York I mean this sounds like a bit boasty but it's ah. not it's actually just a fact it's and it's partly because of the philosophy because you can teach anybody how to do all the skills and all of that but basically they need to know the fundamentals of how to source really good produce and they need the basic they need the techniques and they can build on those then and I think yeah. no matter how far we go from uh into a, into a future with food. That is the most important thing that will never yeah. change. The best food comes from the earth and it's prepared. That's right. Oh, yeah. like close I'm all to about that. the soil. Yeah, yeah. If you were looking at uh, th that earlier, um, the, on the very first day when the students come, actually, uh, when I say when the students come, uh, the school operates the whole year round, actually. And we, on this 100-acre organic farm, even at this time of the year, uh, we employ 55 people, okay? And it goes up to 65, nearly 70 in the summer. We have extra... Uh, help with picking fruit and things but uh, and, and most farmers you know boast about how few people <laughs> they employ like you'd have maybe one or two people on 100 acre farm but anyway um, the on so we we operate the whole year round and we do our three main courses our three month certificate courses where it's like gastro boot camp <laughs> I've heard it described as like Hogwarts the Hogwarts with School of Witchcraft and Wizardry but for food <laughs> Nice. But they they love it. I mean, yeah. actually, we all love to learn, don't we? So, mm. they, I mean, this is quite a, an unusual kind of school because you have students out at six in the morning of their own accord. This is extra curricular stuff out in the bread shed or out in the fermentation shed or going down to bring up the cows and, and uh, you know, make the butter and down with the gardeners. So, basically, it's really full-on three months. So, you do three of those in the year for people who want to get the skills to earn their living from the cooking and do whatever they want. And then we do lots of short courses, days, weekends, weeks, forgotten skills courses, uh, six-week sustainable food production program, five-week, all sorts of things. And if you're in the area, you can come in for an afternoon. Of, uh, the cooking demonstrations are open in the afternoons every day. Why did I go off on that big, long tangent? I was very happy to follow you on it. All right. Well, you asked me something. Um, on of all of these these plates you keep spinning how do you find time to write? <laughs> oh, well, I've got a, 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 love, a wonderful team. Yeah. Um, and, uh, uh, yeah. So, basically... It's a fairly well-oiled machine at this stage. Yeah. I, um, I, I write, I love writing. Um, I've, I think it's kind of a way of life for me now to be always working on something. And I write a, a week, two pages in the weekend section of the Irish Examiner every week. And I can only write when my feet are up. So I do a lot of my writing in bed. Uh, and uh, 
I don't know why I've just got into the habit of that. And I, this is the worst thing ever. I, by the time I got busy, I, I never learned to type. And by the time I got busy, it was kind of too late to learn how to type. All my books, all my columns are all written in longhand. <laughs> so I'm responsible for creating at least two jobs myself because I'm so hopeless. And then I just give them to one of my lovely, uh, you know, very patient uh, uh, secretaries. And uh, then they type it and then I, you know, cre I um, write in the corrections then it goes back again. So sometimes there's three or four drafts or something and so on. So, uh, do yeah. you have a morning process or an evening process? No, no, it's, it's I fit it in at here and there in mm. between things. I've never taken weeks off or months off to write to a book. I just book. do little bits here. I sit on, you know, coming up on the train today, I was doing stuff and, you know, so whatever. And I, I love doing it. And also if you write, uh, I also do some travel articles as mm. well. Uh, so basically when you're traveling then, it make, you know, you take in the information in a different way uh, if you think you're going to write about it. And now, of course, it's, the, having a cell phone is fantastic because that helps my memory as well. Uh, so the two things together, yeah. But I've just uh, I've just come back from Istanbul actually yeah, the the weekend, and again, you know, it's I always. You see, the other great thing for me, I think, says me, is that food is my subject. So it doesn't matter where I go, I'm doing research. So I, I'm uh, I can every meal is research and and so on. So and I always I reckon that um, if I don't get a couple. At least, at least one, but several, two or three recipes that we can really do and enjoy that are really good from a trip. Uh, I well, I put it the other way around. If I get whatever, I feel that trip is really worth it. Yeah, and so that's always my mission. I go into people's houses. I'm really curious. I will st if I'm waiting in a queue. I'll ask. I was, you know, we start to chat about food or whatever. I mean, D Dublin taxi drivers are a tremendous source of uh, information about Dublin coddle. Ah, <laughs> so, uh, getting to the root of coddle, yeah. one taxi driver Somebody at a time. Me, what did that taxi driver, what did he tell me the other day? He put some Dublin coddle. Uh, I can't remember now, but it was something I've heard different. I've lentils. I've heard oh a few my people God, say dried lentils. Modern, yeah, very modern. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, very he, he was telling. Oh yeah, I tell you what it was. He said he put tripe in coddle. Wow. Yeah, and I've never had. Uh, I'd never heard that before. But anyway, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's. It's just I'm. I, I'm. Some people say I'm damned as a curiosity, but I have. A, I'm always very curious. I always want to learn and 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 record and so on. Yeah. So I'm very concerned that we're about to run out of time oh at all these yeah. places that we've yeah. gone. Yeah. But before I open the floor, I believe have we got time for questions? Yeah, we can have questions. Uh, but before we do, yeah. I would like to ask if you yeah. have any one water type piece of cooking advice that you could hand to this audience that they would use, oh. what oh would it be? Like a magic spell to hand oh, everybody. Oh, golly. Well, oh, one. Oh. <laughs> 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 we can come back to it at the end. I won't, I won't put you too much on the spot. Uh, well, I, I think I've already, in a way, talked about the importance of sourcing, really thinking food. about... Yeah. Uh, actually, maybe I can quote Michael Pollan um, when I say... Michael Pollan is a name worth knowing, actually. Uh, he's a, an American journalist, but he writes a lot about food and all of that, and he has many wonderfully quotable mm. quotes. But one of the things was, uh, he said, when you're, going, when you're shopping, don't put anything into that shopping basket that your grandmother wouldn't have recognised as food. Yeah. And uh, it's a really good one, actually. There are lots of other really good ones. But if you go back to breakfast, we'll go back to breakfast yeah. again. What's the only thing your grandmother would have recognised, uh, or great-grandmother, is certainly it's porridge. porridge. And it's still the very, very best thing. How do you take your porridge, Drina? What? How do you I, well, with, with, I have 
it with uh, either lovely Jersey milk, because we have some Jersey cows, uh, and uh, with soft brown sugar, mm. uh, and that's it. I just keep it quite simple, but I'm very fussy about the porridge. Ah, and so we have, uh, we have McCroom oatmeal porridge, mm -hmm. or there's uh, also Dan... Lawler of Kilbegan Oatmeal. I don't know if you know Kilmegan Oatmeal. They do an organic porridge, and also they, uh, Flavins also do an organic porridge. Yeah. Now, listen, says me, on a serious note, uh, we really, at this stage, I kind of know too much in many ways about what's going on behind the scenes in, in farming and growing. And a lot of the farmers are doing exactly what they were advised to do to create, to produce the maximum amount of food at the minimum cost. And of course, it's had disastrous effects on our health and on all of the rest of it. But basically, all I know is this, is that basically we need to have as much chemical-free food as, as possible. And you know, people say, oftentimes when I say that, people say to me, well, you know, it's all very fine for you because the perception is that I can afford it. And I say, well, hang on a minute now. Mm. Uh, you know, we all make time and money for what we think is important. Mm. And, you know, actually food is a long way down many of our lists of priorities. And I say, well, look how much did you... They say, well, I can't afford to spend another 50 euros or whatever a week on food. And there are many people who can't. There's no question about that. But everybody deserves nourishing, wholesome food. I say, well, how much did you spend on those nails last week or, mm. or the whatever, or those magazine, whatever. And then suddenly we realize that, you know, it's a question of priorities. And there's lots of research now that shows the less we spend on food, the more we spend on healthcare. Mm. And look at the aisles in the supermarket of supplements. Look yeah. at what we spend for, on supplements and our food. Michael Pollan yeah. says that we should be so aware of edible food-like substances. Oh, God, yes. I think of that all the time yeah. when I think of food that approximates yeah. health food, that looks as though it might be food but isn't exactly. from the earth or from yeah. a living place. And you see it, I mean, on the first, I know we're running out of time, but one final little thing just to say, the first thing I do on the first morning when the 12 students come in from all over the world, blah, 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 first thing I do is I... Uh, I t take them for a walk through the farm and gardens, the greenhouses and all of that. But we go out through the, one of, and we go out into the little fruit garden, they stand around me in a big circle, you know, uh, looking and wondering what's coming down the line and all the rest of it. And I have a wheelbarrow of soil there. It's actually humus, compost that has got to the final stage of humus when the, that's nothing to do with hummus now, <laughs> uh, where the uh, worms and life comes back into it. And I run my hands through the soil and I, and I say to them, look, I ask them what this is first. The Americans all say it's dirt because that's what they call soil. And I say, remember, this is, this is soil and this is, we are whole, our very existence depends on the four or five inches of soil around the globe. And, you know, now any farmer will tell you that they're, if they're off their guard or whatever, if they'll share it with you, they will tell you they're terrified by the diminishing fertility of the soil. Mm -hmm. And we are only as healthy as we are because of the fertility of the soil. So Lady Eve Balfour, another many quotable quotes, she reminded us that the health of the soil, the health of the plant, the health of the human, uh, the health, well, I missed something, the health of the, the soil, the health of the plant, the health of the animal, mm -hmm. and the health of the human are all totally connected. So we can only, our food can only be as nourishing as what was in that soil. And in America now, and indeed parts of the UK as well, there some of the, in some of the soils, they're down to nine minerals, and we need 11 minerals to, to actually survive. And in Ireland, some of our soils have only 40% 
of the of the fertility and they used to have. So there's a whole new and it's starting small, but it's gathering momentum. Um, ra rather than using the word organic, which can sometimes be divisive, many young, very bright young farmers and others who are concerned about these things are. Uh, concentrating on what we call regenerative farming, regenerating uh, the fertility of the soil and creating environments that are, you know, working with nature rather than against it. But all I do know is that, you know, invest as much as you possibly can uh, in the in in the chemical-free food. And I mean, I, I'm an eldest of nine children, and my mother loved to cook, fortunately, and so lovely memories thing. But mummy always. Uh, she, uh, well, she wouldn't say it regularly, but I remember her distinctly saying, well, if you don't put the effort into the very pragmatic mother of nine, if you don't put the effort into the food on the table, you'll give it to the doctor or the chemist. Mm -hmm. And she really instilled on us that our food should be our medicine, not all the bottles and pills and everything. Mm -hmm. So that's my, uh, that's remember, my, oh, my thought for the day. <laughs> do you remember somebody who, on the radio, um, said, the answer lies in the soil. <laughs> well, they were quite right. They're absolutely right. I mean, the answer li lies in the soil. That's right. So yeah. on All that our health comes from the soil. Yeah. On, on that, we have run out of time, unfortunately. But before we go, um, Darina, can you, before, just before we run, uh, can you tell us a little bit about One Pot Feeds All before this, we go? The, the latest book, number 19. I'm a, 19 <laughs> I'm a serial book. offender. But anyway, <laughs> uh, this book I, I wrote, um, it's... Uh, it was my last book, and uh, I, I, I wrote it because, you know, nowadays, you know, particularly young people, I don't know how you do it, because you're trying to keep all the balls in the air, dashing, you know, most uh, families, both members of the family are now working, and they're trying to, you know, dashing home through the traffic, trying to pick up the kids in the crèche, trying to get in to get some few ingredients in the supermarket, and knowing that you want to put something nice on the table for the family and you know how to do it and so I thought well this one pot cooking you know where you have one lovely big pot and uh, that might be the uh, take out and or it could be one roasting tin one those little coffee do some of you have the little coffee biscuits that uh, they're not biscuits a little tray bake oh, that earlier on the coffee that you had earlier yeah. on this evening Page from 201 I think in here that's literally just in a in a little I hate the word tray bake, but you know, it is, a, it is a tray bake, uh, and you just w throw the ingredients into a, a, a food processor if you have one, uh, and uh, then whiz it up, uh, put a bit of coffee thing with it into the pot, and then make a bit of icing while it's in the oven, spread it over the top, and you can put a nut or whatever and thing, and you can have it for pudding or you can have it for a little bite like that or whatever. That's so gorgeous. oh, this book is full of things you can put into the pot, and you can put the rice, the potatoes, the pasta, even in, I know the Italians would be outraged. But my editor said to me, when I sent in the things, she said, you've no pasta recipes. And I said, well, you can't cook the pasta in with the sauce. And she said, well, try it. <laughs> and uh, uh, so I did, and my God, you can't imagine how yeah, well it works. The and then there's another lovely one that people love, which is like soda bread. Um, and uh, we make a white soda bread, which is, I'm telling you, it's made inside two minutes, you know. And you spread it out in a tin exactly the same size as I'm Made that coffee, coffee thing cake, yeah. and then you spread it out and you put like a you could just even sprinkle grated cheese and scallions or whatever or tomato sauce mm. and pepperoni or whatever into the oven comes out it's out in 15 minutes or between 10 or in 15 minutes you cut it into little squares it's wonderful when it's still warm mm. you can do it in tiny little ones to go with a drink or something or whatever and people absolutely love that as well and it's made really fast because this is the sort of thing you want 
things that are delicious and that can be made really quickly. And the people think, wow, tell you, you're fantastic. That. <laughs> <laughs> oh, aren't you clever? Yes. Yeah. So there's a lot of, oh, aren't you clever ones in there, OK? Yeah, this is a book that just won the Gourmand Award this very week yeah. as well. Well, I, 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 when I was literally coming back... Yeah, no, that's, a, that's absolutely worth a round of applause. So it's a fresh award-winning book. I saw it on Instagram yeah. first. I learned it from Instagram that I'd... So that was a what lovely a great surprise. way to find out good Actually, news. the world... Uh, Gourmand Cook Award, Cookbook Awards are in China. In fact, the, my last book, Go Cook Nourish, also won uh, an award. And we went all the way to China for that, which was lovely. But of course, they, they're just the awards this year because they haven't been able they to have, have them in China. But anyway, yeah. still, it was lovely. So that's fantastic. Yeah. So the, the book tonight is yeah. for sale from the lovely Gutter Bookshop uh, for €23 Euro instead of its usual 29 if you don't have it. And Jarena has said she's very kindly offered to sign it for people oh, outside I'd be delighted. if they would like. But wait till so. I tell you, uh, can I take one more oh, sentence? please do. Yeah. Please. So I that's 19 and it's a kind of a nod number. So I thought I might have to do 20. Okay? Oh, excellent. Yeah, so we'll, What's we'll, next? Uh, if I don't yeah. pop my socks before that. But anyway, we'll try. I'll start on another book. And this one, the, the working title is 50 Recipes No Kid Should Leave School Without oh, Being Able to Cook. And I really I want it embedded in the curriculum. <laughs> Because, you know, we're letting two or three generations out of our houses now without teach, giving them the practical skills to feed themselves properly. Playing right into the hands of the multinational food companies. The more de-skilled we are, the better they like it. So this is uh, really, if I leave any kind of... Yeah, what a big word legacy well, a, is. Yeah. But if I leave any little imprint, I would like it to be that we can, and there are many other people working towards this as well, mm. uh, to working, to, you know, to get, get cooking, practical cooking embedded in the curriculum. Yeah. And it would solve so many problems. And anyway, look, that's the end of that. Thank you all very <laughs> Thank much. Thank you so much, Serena. Thank you so much. For thank you very much. Thank you very much. And as it's all, joy. Thank you. Thank you so yes. much again, ladies and gentlemen. And thank you so much to the Mountains and the Sea for having us in Dunleary. So, uh, Serena will be outside signing well, no, I, I, no, he Oh, it's right here. Are you going to just do it here? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Excellent. Okay. She's going to be right Love here. It. Thank you so much, folks. Cheers. <laughs>